Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. On today's episode, we'll be catching up on our inbox with Muggle Mail. And buckle in, because we're running through lots of different thoughts people had about recent episodes. And then we'll look at new questions, including, what was Hermione thinking when Harry and Ron were missing on the train ride to Hogwarts in year two? How do wizards learn math and science? And what if the inevitable Harry Potter TV show is bad? We'll talk about all of these things and much more. But first, there's been some big news that Micah, and only Micah, is excited about. Micah, what is that big news? Why is it only me? Because <laughs> you're the only one who talks about it. Well, Andrew and I were having a good time talking about what barriers you would remove in front of you to get to the store on opening day. Well, I'll be fully vaccinated as of Wednesday, so I would feel comfortable going back into the city and checking out this new Harry Potter store, which opens officially on June 3rd to the public. And uh, maybe there's going to be a press event before. I haven't heard anything yet. But Micah was like, hey, if you hear about press passes, hook me up. <laughs> I'm just putting the energy into the world. They should do a presser it's a store. for this a couple weeks. It's a or like store. A I don't it, care. It is not just a store, Andrew. It's not just a store. It's a flagship store. It is the flagship store. This is going to be a very big Harry Potter store. And that's yes. cool. I mean, there's going to be wands. I, they promised a coffee shop when they announced this initially. I don't see any details here about the mm. coffee shop. That's the only thing I was COVID. excited about. Andrew, uh, give them a little bit of time. I mean, three floors, 21,000 square feet, the largest collection of Harry Potter and Fantastic Beast products under one roof. I'm just reading from the article. One roof? Wow. <laughs> Flagship, as Eric said, the store, you have to go if you're in the city, when the world open back opens back up and you can go travel again. This is going to be a destination for Potter fans. <laughs> destination. All right. What, okay. what else is there to do in New York? You have Cursed Child, right? <laughs> what else is there From to do a in Harry New York Potter a perspective. <laughs> From a Harry uh -huh. Potter perspective, you have Cursed Child. Not okay. everybody may go see that, although I'm sure tickets will be readily available. And the, people are going to want to come check it out. It's going to be a I huge tourist destination. There's no question. I about get that. that. I get that for sure. And by the way, they also announced that Mina Lima, the production designers, the graphic designers behind the Harry Potter and Fantastic Beast movies, will have their own section there as well. And that is very cool. I love Mina Lima. This will be their first shop in America. And I would go just to check out that artwork because oh, 100%. it's all very purchase worthy. I will say there is a little sort of maybe it's an in-joke. Maybe they plan this. The location of the store is 935 Broadway. I always thought it's a missed opportunity if they did, they didn't petition to be like moved one digit over to nine thirty four Broadway for oh, nine and three quarters. That is, but funny. then would they have yeah. to be on the other side of the street? They would, yeah, maybe nine seventy five. Then which is <laughs> nine three quarters. They should have moved next door. Just buy the building <laughs> next door and make it work. So I just can't get excited because you know how many how many how many versions of a Gryffindor scarf do I need to see? Really, once you see one, you've seen them all. Mm. So it's a destination, but, hey, look, though, Andrew. You're it's right. An it's for tourists. You'll go it. there once, you'll enjoy it. They'll offer the podcast to go live at some point in the future, do a live show there. You'll be super excited to come back and uh, okay. you'll bring your kids there years from now. All right. So June 3rd. Are you, are you convinced or no? No, I'm still not convinced. <laughs> I'm Laura, not what do you think? Laura, I'm please. Excited. Oh, I was trying to stay out of this because I feel kind of similarly <laughs> and I didn't want to rain on anybody's parade. No, I mean, I'll definitely go the next time I'm in the city. Um I think it's absolutely worth visiting, but I don't feel super hype about it. 
Am I a bad fan? No, it's a store. Why do I need a place to go buy another Harry Potter sweater? I think you're missing the bigger picture here, Andrew, because this gives them a place that they can then host media events, do things related to the movies moving forward with Fantastic Beasts. They don't have to go rent out some other place across town. This can then be used for the future. And Okay. Yeah. We'll see what happens. But Okay. Uh, Good for I, them. Just, when I go on June 4th and uh, you know, <laughs> you're know you texting me that you want that Gryffindor shirt that you've never seen before, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to buy it for you. Maybe they'll have Ilvermorny uh, uh, Letterman jackets. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, we'll and see what, what they what have. What if I find a vibrating broomstick there? What, what, what then? <laughs> exactly. I'll be like, well, I could have gotten that on eBay for the past couple of years. <laughs> By the way, my birthday is coming up. So- uh, Check those out now. That is true. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Micah will be there at midnight, and he'll fill us in on uh, June 3rd. Okay, it's time for Muggle Mail now. And Eric, you're going to kick us off. Yeah, this uh, first email is in response to our episode 509 discussion on what we would change in the books or movies. And it is from Sophia. Hello, MuggleCast. My name is Sophia, and I'm in seventh grade. I wanted to bring up a point for 509, what we change about the Harry Potter books and movies. At my school, we have four houses and we are sorted the year before going into our school. The way they did this was we took a Google form quiz about what we would do in different situations. Unlike the sorting hat, where it looks at your brain for a few seconds, you have a good amount of time to answer questions. When they sort, they take a mix of all the answers so that all of the houses are pretty even. The point of our houses is to build up school spirit rather than make people from other houses dislike each other. We gain... (laughs) (laughs) That's key. We gain points from pep rallies and going to school events. I wrote back to Sophia just to ask, because she said she's in seventh grade and has this points system, whether she was in Britain or US or wherever. Because I know that outside of the US, they don't really say seventh grade. It's like seventh form. Right. And there's these other things. Turns out she's from outside Louisville, Kentucky, home of Mikey B. That's (laughs) crazy. I I yeah. would not I had not heard of something like this happening in America before, but that's pretty cool. Right. Try to as Sophia said to to build some school spirit. I think it's also on the emphasis on like competitive versus you know uh, pitting everyone against each other. You yeah. can be playfully or friendly competitive and be in different houses. So that's kind of neat. A Google form is a little less fun than a sorting hat, but still. Yeah. It's cool that they have houses. Can you imagine like an updated, like in the TV show, if McGonagall was like, okay, guys, fill out this Google form. (laughs) (laughs) The sorting hat doesn't want to work anymore. (laughs) Yeah. The sorting hat is on strike. And as we spoke about a couple weeks ago, he he has an outdated way of thinking, the sorting hat, you know? Well, and he was such a proponent of, of, of social justice, but after 14, 17 years, nobody's listening, so he probably just gave up. Well, and I, can you imagine what sorting is like now during COVID? You have to like spray the sorting hat with Clorox after every use. <laughs> Wipe it down. <laughs> Put it in the wash. <laughs> the sorting hat just keeps shrinking with every wash. But I will say it is really great to hear from our younger listeners, you know, say, Sophie's saying that she's in seventh grade. We yeah. get a lot of emails uh, over the course of these last several months, new listeners, but particularly younger listeners discovering the Potter series for the first time. Okay, this next email is from Jane. I wanted to share something I would change about the Harry Potter movies. I personally hated the line in Half-Blood Prince, 
where Hermione tells Harry that Romilda is trying to sneak him a love potion just because he's the chosen one. And Harry responds with, I am the chosen one. I know this line is supposed to be funny, but it just made Harry really unlikable and arrogant, in my opinion. It seems really out of character for him to say that, as in the book, he's really alarmed that random girls are trying to sneak him love potions, as any person should be, and he actively avoids the girls Hermione warned him about. Also, I didn't find this joke funny at all. It just made me cringe really bad. I agree. Yeah. It was, like, kind of funny, but it was just one of those movie lines you're just like, ugh, really? <laughs> David Yates. <laughs> Doesn't she slap him with a book or something? She does. Yeah. <laughs> they, I think that the, the films tried a couple times to capture that sassy Harry that exists in the books, and they fell way short. Like, it's just, they invented new scenes instead of using the existing ones. It's something I think, like is written for a movie theater. Like, that'll mm. get a big laugh in the theater. But then you watch it at home and you're like, eh, I don't know. Um, so also from Jane, they said, I edited the Mary Grand Prix HP covers to have the updated new and improved titles that Micah came up with. I can honestly say that Micah's revisions helped me understand the books a lot better because my tiny American brain just couldn't process the big words. <laughs> 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 Sounds like some sarcasm, uh-huh. but Jane did really good recreating these covers, and we're going to post them on our social media channels this week. Don't these look great? Like, yeah, they're they amazing. look real. Yes, yeah, very well done. And and I think I will have to uh, make sure that I retweet and share and do all those uh, social media things once it's up on uh, MuggleCast. Maybe you can sneak these covers into the new Harry Potter store. I bet they're going to sell the books. It's a great idea. (laughs) Can you imagine printing wraps and then just secretly, covertly wrapping the book? (laughs) I love it. We we have to break into the new store. (laughs) Well, we don't have to break in. No, before launch. And then the first day. Oh, before launch. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We're going to end up on a list. We really are. Not yeah. a good list either. We're already yeah. on the list. Come on. Let's be real. And we wonder why nobody comes on the show. <laughs> okay. We have a voice memo now. Hey, Michael Cast. This is Danun from Iceland. Uh, I just started listening to you guys in like February. And I've been binging every single episode that is on Spotify. And now I'm sad because I have to wait another week to get a new one. <laughs> anyway, in regards to your episode about uh, what you would change in the movies or books, uh, I just wanted to point out the fact that Dumbledore says in the first movie that Harry should grow up away from all of that, meaning the fame and the fact that everybody will know his name, until he's ready. Which, according to Dumbledore, appears to be at the age of 11. You're all <laughs> ready for being famous then, right? Anyway, thanks for a good show. Yeah. Dumbledore put Harry through it. Yeah, he did. <laughs> but that's, no, that's such a good point to be like, <laughs> I know that he's young enough right now that he's not going to remember any of this. Uh, but <laughs> I think that we should really wait to thrust him into a life of fame until he's 11 years old when he has absolutely no clue who he is or what his background is that sounds great (laughs) not to mention all the abuse he's gonna suffer by the dursleys um but we know that dumbledore was just not telling mcgonagall about like the blood magic that's right keeping him safe from voldemort's followers dumbledore is just like "Eh, blood magic 
I would say, though, (laughs) Harry not knowing who he is kind of worked in his favor. Mm. Because can you imagine the arrogance that could potentially develop knowing that he is this pariah in in the eyes of the wizarding community? I am the chosen one. (laughs) Exactly. There (laughs) we go. A lot more of that. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know that the ends justify the means, but that's Dumbledore. It's a question. It doesn't have an answer. Yeah. Well, and I I think that it's fair to argue that Harry could have ended up sort of erring more towards his father's behavior had he known how famous he was. I think that keeping that from him is what sort of brought out his mother's nature in him. Mm. So I agree. All right. Next email comes from Leon. Leon, uh, it's about Fred and George. And they say, I was listening to your new episode about Fred and George when I realized something really interesting. I noticed that the twins resemble Jacob and Esau from the Bible. As I see it, Fred plays the role of Esau while George plays the role of Jacob. Esau, just like Fred, is the firstborn. He's the more brutal twin. He has red hair and a deep bond with his father, Isaac. This resembles Fred. He goes too far in his pranks sometimes, and like you mentioned, he resembles his father. Jacob, however, is more naive and more honest than his twin, and he has a deep connection with his mother, Rivka. He resembles George, who is nicer and softer than his twin, and who resembles Molly. Beyond that, both George and Jacob are strategic thinkers. In the end, Fred dies, and that leads to George becoming kind of his own person. I found that similar to what happens in the Bible. Esau becomes insignificant while Isaac gets to continue their bloodline. That's all I could come up with, and I'm interested to hear what you think. I love that. Yeah. How does how does Esau become insignificant? I'm like I'm thinking about this because it's like if he died, that would make total sense. But what happened to make him insignificant? I'm just well. I think it might be just the the amount of time covered in the Bible, and so because Jacob's the mm-hmm. one that gets to continue the the bloodline that it no longer matters what Esau was doing. Yeah, fair. No, but I, I'm interested. Yeah, I love this. Well, I appreciate the uh, biblical name challenge this morning too. That was uh, <laughs> a lot of fun to read. But I, yeah, I, I think it's it's a great comparison because we know that J.K. Rowling traditionally would base characters on those, whether uh, you know from mythology, just in name origins and, and things along those lines, or you know, using biblical references at times. We actually heard from, uh, speaking of the Fred and George discussion, we had people write in who identified themselves as twins and even uh, triplets. Really awesome just to hear from people who are like, yeah, by the way, I'm a twin. Or, by and the both way. of us are still alive. And have their ears. <laughs> I don't know if I asked about that. We heard from Vicky from Canada, whose email was very long, but it was very, um, very good. And she just said that, you know, our podcast has really helped her through the pandemic. Uh, and, and Vicky is a triplet. And I thought that was awesome to hear from her. Oh, Thanks. Thanks, Vicky. All right. Well, our next email comes from Christy. Christy says, I was recently listening to episode 492, the defining chapters of the big seven Harry Potter characters. Fred and George are two of my favorite Harry Potter characters. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> The chapter that I think defines George's character is chapter 29, The Dream in Goblet of Fire. In this chapter, Fred and George are mailing a letter to Ludo Bagman about the money they didn't receive at the Quidditch World Cup. 
What George said really made me question his differences from Fred. George was openly looking out for Bagman, even though he hadn't stuck to the bet they had agreed on. This was also the first time when we hear George drawing the line and not wanting to break the rules. It's also the first time we ever hear them actually argue. The defining chapter for Fred is also in the Goblet of Fire, Chapter 5, Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. You did talk about this in your episode, but I think this chapter is really relevant to Fred's character. Obviously, we know that Fred didn't drop the Tauntong toffee on accident, but I think when he performed this action, it really just shows how reckless Fred can be. It shows that Fred is willing to go to any length for business. Comparing these two segments really just shows you that there are two sides of the spectrum. Even with these differences, the books show us how great Fred and George are as a team. What do you guys think? From a fellow Potterhead, Christy, P.S. I'm a twin, too. It's good feedback. And also how they work together separately is, of course, just one part of the puzzle as to how they work together. So the, the Weasley twins are just I have more respect and love for the Weasley twins after our discussion. And I think that whenever I reread the Harry Potter series, I'm going to be sort of razor focused on them and their differences and all that kind of stuff working moving forward. Yeah. And I think yes. independence is important for twins when they're developing. I think when you grow up as a twin, now I am not a twin, so hopefully I'm not speaking out of turn here. But when you're growing up as a twin or a triplet, you don't want to be closely tied to your twin or your other siblings at all times. You know, you want to be your own person. So I like that Christy pointed out two separate defining chapters. Yeah. And I actually emailed back all the twins who wrote in and triplets <laughs> and asked them if they have a telepathic connection. Um, so by the I, way, do you have a telepathic connection? Yeah. Or like, do you like finish each other's sentences the way that it works in the books with the Weasley twins? Oh, I actually only heard back from Christy. I emailed everyone who wrote in that said they, but anyway, Christy said <laughs> about your question. Um, if my twin and I have some sort of telepathy connection, this is going to be a really boring answer, but I have never noticed a sixth sense where I can tell what she is thinking. Don't get me wrong. We have definitely tried before. I've tried to give her telepathic waves, but it never seems to work. However, sometimes I notice that at certain times we think of the same thing. Like she tells me about what she had been contemplating about and I feel or had been thinking about the same thing. Sadly, this happens rarely and it's pretty hard to catch if we're having any telepathic connection. My theory is because we're fraternal twins instead of identical twins like Fred and George, so it doesn't work the same. Do you think, though, that's why in the movies they would always finish each other's sentences or say things at the exact same time? I think that was just supposed to be like charming twin humor, right? Yeah. Yeah. I actually asked that question of James and Oliver Phelps uh, back in 2011 on the um, Home Entertainment Celebration videos on YouTube. But they, they said that kind of like they don't really finish each other's sentences, but they find that they are usually on the same wavelength. So that was kind of cool. OK. And uh, speaking of twins, Miss Ava Malfoy said, speaking about your last podcast, my best friend has three year old twin brothers that remind me of Fred and George. You can't tell them apart and they babble to each other, but nobody else understands. <laughs> <laughs> I just That's love this cute. part. They babble to each other, but nobody else understands. That kind of sounds like Fred and George. They're three. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know. I think you can't tell them apart, Miss Ava Malvoy, but can the parents tell them apart? Because <laughs> I would sure hope so. <laughs> Maybe they dress one in a blue bow and one in a green bow. I will say, though, Eric, the discussion that we had really kind of opened my eyes to the differences between the twins. Otherwise, I don't know that I would ever have looked at it in that way uh, with all the examples that, that were given. Yeah, I was glad that um, whoever it was that said they could tell them apart really kind of was firm on it, but also treated it as though it was like that everyone could tell them apart. And it yeah. inspired me to be like, okay, I certainly can't. So let's see what's here and then make an episode about it. So it was really great that we did that. And I think that overall, it was really, really well received. So great. I'm just happy. We just did something that benefits Harry Potter fans or interests them. That's cool. That's all I ever like to do. Okay. Continuing on with Muggle Mail, we have a couple of voice memos. This one is from Julianne and it concerns a recent discussion. Hi, MuggleCast team. This is Julianne. Um, I just wanted to say two things today. First, I wanted to say thank you so much for the community you've built um, and for sharing questions and ideas with listeners and patrons and allowing us to be part of the discussions. I find it so much fun and it's a great way to feel connected to people while we're still kind of in this weird pandemic time. So thank you so much for that. Um, and then I also had a question I wanted to share. I was listening to this week's episode and someone shared that they would change the fat shaming that happens in the books if they could change something about the books. And that if they were to read the books to their children, they would leave those parts of the books out when they were reading them. And I have taken a different approach, and I'd really like to hear your opinion. Um, I have a five-year-old son and a three-year-old son, and we share lunch together on Fridays, and I read out loud to them from the first book. Um, we're only in maybe the second chapter, so we were just talking about how Harry calls Dudley a pig in a wig and how horrible that is, and we talked about how unkind they are to each other um, and how it's terrible that Dudley is physically abusive to Harry. Um, so I've kind of taken the approach of reading it and then discussing the problems and the issues that we see. Um, so that's kind of a different way to go about it. And I'm just curious what your opinion is. I don't think any of you have children um, at this time, but you know, if you did have your own kids, which way would you go about it? Thanks for your thoughts. Hope you're all doing well. As far as we are aware, we do not have children. That is correct. <laughs> I really love this point. Obviously, Same. parents can decide how to approach it. Every parent is probably going to tackle this differently. But I like calling it out as a problem because when kids get out into the real world, they're going to run into situations that they should be able to recognize are wrong. Mm. And calling it out in this moment could be helpful in that kind of development. Yeah. Honestly, this reminds me of how my parents handled me reading as a young child. Like, there was never anything that I wasn't allowed to read um, because my mom in particular was of the opinion that if I was old enough to read it and process it and actually understand it, that I was old enough to consume it and we would have conversations about it. Um, so that, I mean, this is definitely very much in like in my wheelhouse. If I had a child, this is probably what I would do. Um, but to Andrew's point, you know, everybody's different and each parent needs to make the best decision for their kids. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, th I think that, you know, certainly the first time I would let the books be read and, and not really jump into those discussions, especially if it's with a younger child. I think the opportunity to have these types of conversations exist 
when they get a little bit older, right? And you you can have a bit more of a mature conversation about these topics. I don't I mean I I don't necessarily see what's going on in the context of fat shaming. I I think it's more Harry reacting to how he's being treated by Dudley and I think Dudley is a product of his environment and the way his parents treat him and maybe things change as he gets older and and makes his own decisions about himself. We have another voice memo here from Celine. Hey, Mugglecast. I'm 10 if you wanted to know, but anyway. (laughs) It just crossed my mind. Do Hogwarts students learn English, maths, and science? I mean, I know some students like Hermione choose to learn arithmancy, but it's not compulsory, and they must use some maths or English later in their life. Anyhow, I have two ideas for how they learn it. One, they go to college after Hogwarts specially to learn those subjects. Or maybe they learn all that during Muggle Studies. I bet you guys have a bunch of ideas. Thanks, Celine, Adelaide, South Australia. Thank you, Celine. Excellent voice memo. Here's the thing, Celine. Right now, you see math and science. God, Laura's going to get so mad at me. You see math and <laughs> English as important subjects. But as you get older, you realize you didn't need to have learned these subjects in school. You just need a calculator. And Google. So I think Hogwarts is actually really ahead of the curve here in terms of not teaching math and English because they recognize that they're not necessary for later in life. Wow. I, I probably just annoyed a lot of people. I disagree yeah, for the did. record. Not a- um, yeah. So I believe that it's very important for people to at least develop basic competencies in these subjects so that they can be self-sufficient mm. as adults. Um, but... I think that we may have talked about this point before, and correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't wizarding children homeschooled in a way up until the age of 11 that they go to Hogwarts? So they learn some of these basic subjects at home? Yeah. So like wizarding kids, maybe like Molly, for instance, the Weezes are a good example of that, might have taught them some math writing Definitely writing because they need to do that at Hogwarts. Um, but it's still it what it amounts to. And this topic does come up every once in a while. People point out because you go to Hogwarts at age 11, everyone who attends Hogwarts pretty much has like a fifth grade reading level or a sixth grade <laughs> math <laughs> level. Like and that's a problem. That's not, you know, it's adults who have that level of reading um, and spelling are less likely i want to say to maybe succeed uh in the adult world so i or in 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 a world that sh- that is shared by people who have gone the full way so i want to say that you know it, it's without judging any one person on how much schooling they've received it's a glaring sort of gaping hole that that sort of thing never gets fixed in jk rowling's books where they're not still doing they're not being shown still doing math they're not being shown you know improving their but- vocab presumably some students would need that additional support, right? I mean, you think about Mm -hmm. how much math goes into a class like potions or Mm. astronomy or ancient runes. There's math that needs to be used. And some of it is probably more complex. It's Right. It's not just your your basic counting and and addition and subtraction. There there's probably dare I say calculus involved at some point. Yeah. Depending on how yeah. yeah, physics exactly. So I I I would hope that there are some additional classes that these students can take so that 
you know, uh, to your point also about being at a fifth grade or a sixth grade reading level, there's a ton of reading that needs to go on in all these classes. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Right. And something that I just wanted to highlight, I looked it up. Um, the Literacy Project Foundation in the United States says that the average American is considered to have a readability level equivalent to a seventh or eighth grader. Wow. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind is that, you know, the average person does not have um, like a college level reading level. I don't even know if college level is on the scale. <laughs> I was going to say, what's the high end of the scale? To be clear, I like I wouldn't consider my reading level to be college, like post college at all either. Yeah, yeah well, I think that that's true for most people. But yeah, it does it does raise the point, Eric, that you were referring to earlier, which is what are the standards in the wizarding world for this sort of like non-magical education that's actually pretty important in order to support the magical education itself. Right. Yeah. I mean, to be good with money, to be good with, uh, you know, it's not like every wizard is just given a, a home. They have to figure out how to finance one or whatever, you know, everything the that muggles do. And to clarify what I said earlier, I was kind of kidding, but also why did I need to learn geometry in school? <laughs> There's something that I never used again and just tortured me. In school. Yeah, I hated geometry <laughs> as well. I, was, I did love it. I was much yeah. more of an algebra kid. Oh, 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 it's all so painful. All that stuff with <laughs> angles. I did use it recently. So you do you raise a fair point, though, Andrew, because I think that, and obviously it's super dependent what profession you ultimately go into, but yeah. I think about all the classes that I sat through, like trigonometry, yes. pre-calculus, calculus, like, yeah, I'm not using this stuff. A lot no. of math hate, actually, in this episode. <laughs> yeah, there really yeah. is. Look, I mean, like it instills some values in you, and of course, it's 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 good in terms of your overall development to study these types of things. But yeah, you really just don't use them again. Or you think about like cursive. We all went mm. through learning cursive, and oh, you got to write in cursive. You got to write in cursive. Then you never use it again. That's it's very just- true. And that's going away. They're no longer teaching cursive in, and this is as of several years ago, I think, in American schools, because it's being replaced by typing. Now, that was one thing I did learn in school, typing. Did you guys learn typing in school? Yeah. 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 We actually had a class. It was technically called keyboarding, but we did it on typewriters. What? You used typewriters? My school had, you know how they have like computer labs with like 40 computers in it? Mm -hmm. We actually had an old typewriter lab. That was still being used to teach wow. to teach like wow. homework keys and finger placement and all that stuff. Yeah, we had I, that in high school. I mean, to date myself here a little bit, but when I used to do reports in probably was elementary school, I used the typewriter. Well, there you oh go. my gosh! Really? We didn't have a uh, a computer. Yeah, but so the wizarding kids are writing with part with parchment and quill, and so yeah. they either need to learn cursive mm-hmm. or they need to print. You know, but either way, that's a skill that I don't even think, you know, American kids in one generation are going to have is being able to actually write with your hand what you want to say. It's all Mm -hmm. phone typing, texting, keyboarding, all that stuff. Now, (laughs) do they teach how to type on an iPhone now? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. You know what I'm saying is you push the button is the letter that you want. No, I know what you're saying. Forming the letter with your hand. I will say, though, I wish I had magic back then because when you mess up on a typewriter, if you mess up too much, that eraser function only works so much. Yeah, before you have to just 
rip the piece of paper out, start oh, all over again. Uh, it sounds like God. hell. Damn, all look of our at this. parents who did their like yeah. dissertations and stuff on typewriters are cringing right now. I mean, look look at this conversation that Selena sparked. Selena is great. Thank you for this email or thank you for this voicemail. Also, shout out to Mavis Beacon teaches typing. That software oh. rocked my socks off. That's how I, I had, learned how I to had type. Writer Rabbit that inspired me. Oh yeah. Oh, I remember that. Writer Rabbit. God, now I'm looking at that. The Learning Company. They made so many yes. great games back in the back in the day. Uh, okay. Did you know Let's... there would be like a Wizarding World Learning Company like teach at home software, but like yeah. or or like a little a little man that comes out of a book or something to teach you. <laughs> right. Before we continue reading all of your excellent feedback and questions, I want to tell you about this week's sponsor, BetterHelp. Taking care of your mental health is extremely important, and if you think there's something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals, check out BetterHelp. They will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist who you can work with via voice, video, or text chat. BetterHelp lets you easily and quickly get started with therapy. Within 48 hours from right now, you can start speaking with a therapist right from wherever you're listening to MuggleCast, and the service is available for clients worldwide. Once you get started, you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to take a time-consuming trip to a therapist's office. I'm a fan of the live text chat feature, and this lets you and your therapist see what each other is typing in real time when you schedule a time to meet. For me, typing things out works better, and the live text chat makes the conversation move snappily. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today, so do something good for yourself by working with a mental health professional. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and we have a special offer for you. MuggleCast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com MuggleCast. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash MuggleCast. This next email comes from Johan from Norway. I was just listening to the fifth book when I thought about something. I'm studying pedagogy now, and we've talked a lot about how the way of teaching directly impacts people's mental health and ability to function in a society. After thinking about how the classes are taught and how much pressure the students have from a young age, I'm actually wondering how the Wizarding Society hasn't collapsed yet. From Snape's bullying to Binz's very uninspiring lectures, I don't understand how they are able to learn anything, survive the psychological stress they're under, and then go into society doing a functional job while still being a decent human being. I also thought about the fact that when they come to Hogwarts, they haven't taken any prior education. How does these kids even know to read and write? There you go. Is that the parent's responsibility? What happens if the parents aren't capable of teaching because of their job or something? What happens to the kids if they come to Hogwarts without these abilities? That is basic knowledge that you have to know before you can understand how to make a potion. I can't imagine how problematic that would be for the kids and the trauma that they would have to deal with. I would also love to hear your thoughts about this. Yeah, we've spoken about this before here and there. Hogwarts is a challenging place to grow up. But I think, you know how our parents say to us, like, oh, you guys have it so easy these days. Back in my day, this, this, and that. Basically, what Hogwarts students go through, that's what our parents claim that they went through in terms of just, like, a harder upbringing. But parents will also argue that it's because of that different upbringing, that harder upbringing, that they are the people they are today. So Hogwarts 
even though it's a mess, that's actually a feature, not a bug. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, I love I love the <laughs> I love the prominence of that saying. I've just seen it a lot lately and I, I think I've used it on this show but or another one. It explains a lot about certain approaches to certain things. But yeah, I think that um this is a really good point. Psychological safety is a real problem at Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> but it made these students who they who are they today. Are. <laughs> <laughs> They're better there has because to be of it all. A guidance counselor somewhere, no? I mean, even I yeah. had that when yeah. I was growing up in elementary and middle school, high school. We got a tweet or an email about that. They don't have guidance counselors over in England. Okay, we have a voice memo now from Morgan. Hey, MuggleCast. This is Morgan, longtime listener of the show. And I'm doing my annual reread of the series, and I'm currently on Goblet of Fire. And I've noticed that I've enjoyed Goblet of Fire more over the years. And part of me has wondered if that's because there are so many details in that book that aren't in the movie. And that's true for the later books as well. But I just wanted to hear your thoughts on if you've enjoyed any of the books more since the movies came out because of missing details, especially with the later books that are longer and had to get cut down for the pacing of the film. Uh, anyways, love the show and would love to hear your thoughts on this. Thanks so much. Bye. The pacing, the pacing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I completely agree with Morgan. The later books are such great reads because so much is missing from the movies. I, I agree. And, and I think as we were doing our chapter by chapter rereads, I got a deeper appreciation for that. Just how much was missing from the movies. You just... You don't realize it until you go back to the books and yeah. you, you're talking about a lot of the memory scenes from Half-Blood Prince. There's a ton in Order of the Phoenix. Even Prisoner of Azkaban, let us not forget the Marauders backstory <laughs> not being in the movies. I feel like we need to say that at least once an episode. But <laughs> that's that's huge for a lot of people. The house elves in their storyline throughout a lot of these books is completely omitted. This uh, voicemail really points out to me just how much was missing from Goblet of Fire. I tend to like get angry about Prisoner of Azkaban, but Goblet of Fire is as bad or even worse at leaving things out. I, I think Laura might agree with that. Oh, yeah. Goblet of Fire is my favorite book, and there's a lot missing. I mean, of course, I think the low-hanging fruit to go after is like the spew storyline s-p-e-w um i don't know if anybody else ever just read that as spew that's how i always read oh it. yeah but um leaving that out it's so integral to hermione's character but it also points out how deeply flawed this culture is in so many ways um not to mention all of the interactions that harry has with imposter moody throughout the book so many of those didn't make the movie um and it's just a real shame because i think in order to supplement that they had to do that weird like tongue tick <laughs> that <laughs> that they did to like tip you off as to you know him being a, an imposter possibly yeah so yeah they, it, they just really had to flatten the story in order to make it fit in the film. That's disappointing. You lose out on those things of classism yeah. that happens mm -hmm. with the elves. Yeah. That's that's one of the things that drove me nuts from the Goblet of Fire movie was the little tongue twitch that you're talking about, Laura. And I hated how he it. was drip drinking from his hip flask every five minutes. So you were just <laughs> 
you knew like even if you didn't read the book you knew something was up with this character yeah Yeah. stuff like that is for the average moviegoer who did not read the books but the crazed potter fan the dedicated potter fan absolutely dislikes yep Uh, but speaking of goblet of fire and secret deleted scenes we got a email here from Gina who says, uh, I wanted to reach out about something that has been bothering me for a long time, 15 years to be exact. When I saw Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire in theaters in 2005, I remember a scene in which the trio are walking among the waterfalls of Hogwarts grounds in their street clothes, aka non-Hogwarts robes attire. I believe this scene happened at the end of the film, but can't be exact because I never saw it again. I never saw this in a director's cut version or any disc included in the Ultimate Edition set. This has been on my mind for 15 years. Do any of you know this scene? I've included a picture from the scene, which can be found on the web when I Google Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire trio, but find nothing about the scene or the filming behind it. Are you familiar with it? Love the show. I've been listening since the very beginning. Aww. This I don't remember is, this. This is low key blowing my mind. I don't. Look, sometimes they film things and uh, they, they they just weren't even worthy of the deleted scene section. That's all. Maybe this is how they uh, practice self care at Hogwarts without the guidance counselors with a crazy school. They just need to head out to a nearby waterfall. Yeah, taking nature after a hard year at Hogwarts. Remember, yeah. what was it the last episode we were talking about? Uh, David Yates interview with the final battle scene where he said they had actually filmed it similar to how it is in the book, but then they went with the crazy, like, we're going to sprawl or we're going to fight around Hogwarts grounds. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, if I remember the end of Goblet of Fire, it's more of a, it's a cheery type of ending, right? After Dumbledore gives the speech in the Great Hall about Cedric, they kind of go out and they watch the Durmstrang ship depart in the Bobatin's yeah. carriage fly away. Maybe they just felt that this would have been a little too heavy of an ending. Agreed. Yeah. Because look at Harry. I mean, he looks rough. Yeah, he's got the bandage around his hand. It's clearly from the end of the movie. Yeah, what I find is interesting. I remember seeing these pictures back in the day. When I saw the movie in theaters, I don't remember this scene being there, but it sounds like Gina does remember it being there when yep. she saw it in theaters. I mean, so. maybe there was an early copy or an early version yeah. that was, you know, maybe you don't even know it. Because sometimes those can happen pretty close to the uh, actual release date. Maybe you, Gina, I think she dreamed it. You were a test audience <laughs> or you dreamed it, but it's in these, you know, these photos appear behind the scenes, set photos and things appear in like film wizardry. And I feel like we would have remembered a waterfall, though. Water, like, there's not a whole lot of waterfalls in the Harry Potter series. Right. right. That would have been very distinctive. It just brings to mind to me, first of all, um, you know, that there are all these scenes that we've never seen that were absolutely shot. And if I could just call out Warner Brothers on this, release all of this footage. I'm telling you, all of it. The, wow. uh, the Snape's worst memory scene that was these actors were cast they had to audition where they said lines the finished product there's like no lines and it's like a weird non-verbal flash of snape's worst memory give us the scene give us the entire scene as it was originally filmed later distilled down like this footage exists give us outtakes you always hear about pranks on sets these so-called ultimate editions that came out 15 years ago are just no longer good enough we know you have this footage you've been caught 
And then the other part You've been is caught. that in Goblet of Fire, no damn scene is allowed to just breathe and be what it is. Things are so fast where they have to do with mm-hmm. like the hip flask and like the, the tongue thing that like that movie would be such so much better, so much more improved with a scene like this where Harry just goes and like sits by a waterfall and his friends are there. If they were just allowed to like let the scene be what it was supposed to be, the movie would have been just so much better instead of this frenetic, you know, sort of frat kind of energy. All right. This next one comes from Sarah Beth, who points out something that could have been a really big problem in book one. Sarah Beth says, I've been listening to some old episodes and I just came across episode 427 connecting Sorcerer's Stone to Deathly Hallows. Y'all talk a lot about the different concerns with leaving Harry on the Dursley's doorstep. But my main concern was not brought up. It's not like Harry was an infant. He was a year old. Some one-year-olds can walk. Most of them, at least, can crawl. What the heck was Dumbledore going to do if Harry woke up before Petunia came outside and just crawled away? Oh, here's the most important person in the wizarding world. Too bad he crawled into the street and got hit by a car while he was left unattended on a porch overnight. (laughs) We have no hope in defeating Voldemort anymore. This is just something that has really bothered me about book one. Show is awesome. Keep up the good work. Excellent point. Excellent point. Should have been strapped in there a little more securely. Could have gotten like a car seat or a baby carrier. (laughs) Yeah. Or a little pod. You know that pod that Baby Yoda floats around in? There you go. How about that thing? Okay, now we have a voice memo from Diana. Hey, Mucklecasters. My name is Diana, and I've been a listener for about two years now. I have a question for you guys. When the inevitable Harry Potter TV series comes out, do you think it's possible for them to completely screw it up? I've been reading the Mortal Instruments series, and I just started watching the TV series adaption, and they've royally messed it up. Things are out of order and things are happening in the first few episodes that aren't supposed to be revealed until the end. It's really unfortunate and it makes me worry about the inevitable Harry Potter series. Do you think it's possible it will be worse in the movies or will Warner Brothers do fans right? Thanks again. I love the show and look forward to your responses. It's quite possible they could screw this up, but it's all about who's behind the series, who's writing it, who's in charge of it. How much money are they putting into it? I think it's in their best interest to make this as amazing as possible because they don't want to tarnish the brand. So they're going to take the project very, very seriously. They're going to take it more seriously than the people behind the Mortal Instruments did. (laughs) I I can promise you that much. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak to the Mortal Instruments thing, but just this idea that they would reveal a huge gaping plot point or like a major spoiler at the beginning of the series on paper i'm not exactly opposed to that if it sort of unlocks the story in an interesting way so like because especially if there's an adaptation that comes out years after the original source material uh like say lord of the rings is like you know decades after the books were written uh i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for you to like lead with that as long as it is like a special or crucial way of telling the story because the people were reading the books when the books were coming out gasp shock awe natural response but then maybe for you know modern storytelling or something more different you could really interest someone by giving them that i want to say like carrot first and then telling the story after already knowing it. i know like 
purists or, or people who love the books love the way that the books occurred. But I'm thinking if, if this Harry Potter TV series is to be good, maybe they do have to like fundamentally change something that we know about Harry Potter, like something from the later books, not Horcruxes, because that's too much, but something that was revealed later might be revealed much earlier and it might make things better. Like say Snape's character, like if you really know what's going on, if they talk about that in book two, like JK Rowling was originally going to, that would change everything. I don't, if they do a reboot, I don't think they're going to make big changes like that because they know how the fans would receive that. I think if they're going to do something, it's going to go into a different area of the wizarding world. Just look at what they're doing with Game of Thrones. They're, mm. they're jumping back in time or maybe, and maybe jumping forward in time. I don't know, but they're, they're diving, they're diving elsewhere. And I think that's what's going to happen with Harry Potter too. That that was going to be my thought too, is that yeah, I agree. you're not going to see, as you said, Andrew, a, a full reboot. Maybe at some point you will. Um, but, but my sense would be if they do that, they're they're going to remake the films before before we see it really kind of come to life on television. I think what we're get on television will be more kind of a spinoff uh, or or a prequel or as you said, looking ahead in the future to to events beyond what happens in the Harry Potter series. I just feel like we're not there yet, but we'll get it. I just think it's going to be a movie before it's a TV show. Yeah. This next email comes from Maurice. Hi, MogulCast. I just thought of something I wanted to share with you guys and see what you think. In the seventh book, when the Ministry is doing the Muggle-Born Registration Commission, they accuse Mrs. Cattermole of stealing magic. First, if you can steal magic, why don't squibs have magic? Unless the magic was stolen from them, which I don't think is true. Also... The International Statute of Secrecy, instituted in 1689, states that magic is supposed to be kept away from muggles, but the ministry is now saying hundreds of muggles are stealing magic. This means the ministry sucks at its main job. According to them, muggles were able to steal magic and disguise themselves as wizards and witches. That means that all those departments were for nothing. All those people who were trained in keeping magic away from muggles wasted their lives. That's all. Thank you for everything that you do. Sincerely, Maurice. Um, you had one job. <laughs> one thing that I'll say here is this is this is very relevant to today's political environment. Um, this whole accusation that these wizards who are not purebloods have stolen magic somehow is very, very much akin to how in the real world, uh, certain things, certain science facts or certain accusations are lovely at people that are completely unfair and sweeping generalizations. There's no real basis or explanation for how something like Q would exist. But with completely without evidence, uh, these people still persist and then storm the Capitol. Um, so, you know, there's no proof. There's no evidence that is needed to support these claims that these uh, wizards are secretly muggles that stole magic. And yet... A, you know, a decently sized portion of the wizarding populace in book seven is shown to buy into this because they ultimately support their government officials torturing regular old wizards like this. Yeah, I mean, it's just basic fear mongering. The ministry knows that nobody stole magic. Yep. They're just using these people as a scapegoat. All right. This next email is from Molly concerning Ron's character. I've been really enjoying these themed episodes since you finished chapter by chapter. Keep up the great work. I wanted to write in about your episode on Ron. 
While Ron definitely has his faults, I think he's a very underrated character, and I really agree with Laura that the film that the films exacerbate the problem. This also makes me like film Hermione less because she then becomes the answer for everything and isn't allowed flaws or gaps in her knowledge. Ron is also used for comic relief in the Very Potter musical series, but he and Harry are at least best friends in that, whereas in the WB films, Harry seems to be, to be better friends with Hermione. I think Ron is the glue that holds the trio together. When he's not there in Goblet of Fire and Deathly Hallows, Harry and Hermione both become withdrawn and more irritable. Ron kind of reminds me of Xander in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He's not a hero, Buffy, or a super smart witch, Willow, but he still fights and provides support however he can. Given the comments JKR has made about Ron Hermione not working out, do you think she soured on Ron's character over time, even when writing the books? It seems like he had so much more potential. Thanks for all your work and stay safe. Wow. Well, Laura, what do you make of this email? Because you're a big Ron fan. Yeah, I mean, one, I completely agree. Um, I really think that one of the consequences of the movies being produced before the films were finished is that or before the books were finished is that neither of these things exist in a vacuum. So I think it would be really hard to say the films had no influence on the future books. (laughs) Like, I just find that really hard to believe because everyone's human, right? The author is a human being um, who is susceptible to this kind of thing, just like the rest of us are. Um, And I also think that Molly is right. I think that J.K. Rowling made the comment that her pushing Ron and Hermione together had been sort of a form of wish fulfillment, like... It was part of her vision very early on, but she realized as she was continuing to develop the characters that she was just pushing them together to fit sort of like the narrative that she had already set up. And then she went on to talk about how she felt like in Deathly Hallows, they really captured something in the tent scene when Harry and Hermione were dancing that she hadn't picked up on at the time in the books when she was writing them. So, yeah, I think that the movie adaptations definitely had an impact on Ron's mm-hmm. characterization. Okay. Agreed. Wow. But wouldn't it have been too cliche to have Harry end up with Hermione? 100%. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, like I don't know if each of them had the time for that either with with everything that they were dealing with. Not to make Ron seem any less important, but I always feel like it was Harry and Hermione for the most part that were at the forefront of everything. You know, Harry was a lot of the action, but Hermione was a lot of the the strategy and the tactics. And so I, I just don't know if there was time for a, a, a romantic relationship there. And that's why we got Ginny and that whole thing, which I know Eric is sour about. So yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, I also think Ron grounds Harry and Hermione, which is a really important component in that whole friend dynamic. Um, Because to your point, you know, Harry and Hermione do tend to be the ones at the forefront of like, you know, the DA um, and, you know, Harry fighting Voldemort at the end of every school year. Um, But Ron is really there as a grounding presence for the both of them to remind them who they are. Oh, you know, yeah. So I think I think that's something that gets left out in the films and it 
has been used instead to make Ron comic relief, which kind of, again, leaves his character a little flat in the films. That's a great point. We have more Muggle Mail to get to today, but first, Usual Wines is back to sponsor this week's episode of MuggleCast just in time for summer. Usual Wines are wines for the modern drinker. Each bottle is 6.3 ounces. That's a heavy pour or about a glass and a half of wine. Because of the single-serve format and bottle design, Usual is always fresh, so no more flat bubbly or stale rosé. The wine comes in these science speaker-like bottles. It looks like they're straight out of Snape's potion classroom. I love them. The wines are low-carb and have zero grams of sugar. They're made from world-class AVAs. Those are American viticulture areas in California, like Napa, Sonoma, and Santa Barbara, and are made with minimal intervention, zero sugar, and zero additives. Usual has a red blend, a rosé, and a sparkling white wine called Brut. They also have Usual Spritz, a low-alcohol, low-calorie wine spritzer that's made of sparkling wine and guava juice, like White Claw but for grown-ups. Each serving has just 83 calories. Obviously, the seltzer-type drinks have blown up in popularity, and I love that Usual Wines has gotten in on the action. The guava juice is a fun twist that gives you a tropical treat that tastes like a combo of pear, strawberry, and coconut. Go check out their website at usualwines.com and use our discount code MuggleCast for $8 off your first order and try your first glass on us. Again, that's usualwines.com and use our discount code MuggleCast for $8 off your first order and try your first glass on us. All right. Well, well speaking of, of Hermione, we want to know just what she was doing on the train in Chamber of Secrets. And Charlotte asked this question. I was just listening to your episode about Ron and I was thinking about the flying car. I often wonder, what was Hermione doing on the train on the way to Hogwarts without Ron and Harry? Maybe she just had a really nice and peaceful journey, or was she fretting over their whereabouts? It's such a tiny detail, but has had me wondering for years. Been listening for a few years now. Thanks so much for all the content, laughs, and your hard work to keep the fandom alive. This is a great question. I would just like to think that she's relaxing. After everything that happened in book one, maybe she appreciates a little more time away from the boys. (laughs) Yeah, I think she'd be like, where are those two? But like, then settle down to have something off the trolley. Meets a new Harry and Ron, <laughs> and <laughs> she and oh moves my on. God. Yeah, by the time she gets off the train, has a whole new friend group, and right. <laughs> it's just like, okay, I've moved on. That's my head cannon. That's what I want to see. Somebody write a fan fiction about that. Oh my god! All right, this next one comes from Omar. Omar says, uh, "Great security nightmare show." I wanted to add one more thing to the list. Lack of simple information, such as Voldemort's name. If students knew his real name, Jenny would have known that the diary was dangerous. Same with Harry. I find it ironic because in The Cursed Child, the students seem to know everything about the past. This is such a good point. (laughs) I love this. Um, (laughs) It's it's not... It shouldn't be that hard, like, to connect the threads there for people. (laughs) Right, right. Plot hole. Great point, Omar. Great point. Yeah, and great connection to Cursed Child, too, because I think they know too much about what their father or parents got up to. Darn it, Hogwarts. You were a mess. It's almost as if the people of Cursed Child read the books and watched the movies of their parents (laughs) doing the things. That's how much detail they know that they probably wouldn't. So to wrap things up here... As we do with every mailbag episode, we are taking a throwback email all the way back to July 30th of 2007, so almost 14 years ago. And this comes from Laura, 
They're from Ontario, Canada, 16 years old at the time. So 2930 right about now, depending on when their birthday is. And uh, they have a question about Ron and the chamber. So I'm not sure if this is going to be more Ron hate, but here we go. Uh, hi again. So clearly they emailed us uh, before and we didn't get back to them. <laughs> In one of your shows, you mentioned how you don't like that Ron could get into the chamber simply by imitating Harry. I agreed at the time until I thought about it. I think that Ron had the cup of Helga Hufflepuff with him, which was a horcrux. Maybe it helped him enter because he had a part of the heir of Slytherin's soul with him, just like Ginny had, and just like Harry had inside of him. Maybe. Just a thought. Wow. Yeah. Really? I, I feel like if I had read this in 2007, I would not be like complained about how unrealistic it is that Ron is just able to mutter something. Because I think this is this. there could be something to the proximity of the Horcrux to the chamber, like either helping Ron out directly or being in and of itself some kind of like key fob way of getting into the chamber. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm envisioning Ron like holding the cup up to the door and he's whispering to it. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Say something. <laughs> and it's just kind of like chirp, chirp, you know, like a car does and then it unlocks and he slides down. Yeah. I will say I do like this theory a lot better than the thought that Ron uh, has been hiding his secret linguistic abilities for seven years or, <laughs> until or, the climax of the series. Or what the movie says, that Harry talks in his sleep. Oh, my God, yeah. Which I'm sure he does, <laughs> but he's not saying, open, open. All right, well, there you go, Laura. And sorry it took so long to read and answer your email. Hopefully you're still listening. Eh. Eh, what? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I was joking. This she was, was not pretending me. that she was. Yeah, I was pretending I was. Oh, Laura. got yeah. it. Okay, okay. All right. Well, well. Thanks to everybody who writes in. We love getting all this feedback from you. It's so great to receive it and read it. And if you have any feedback, you can email MuggleCast at gmail.com or use the contact form on MuggleCast.com. You can also send a voice memo, as some of our listeners did today, to MuggleCast at gmail.com. Just use the voice memo app on your phone and then email that file to us. You can also call us 19203Muggle. That's 19203684453. It's time for Quizage. Last week's question. Just like Harry dropped out of Hogwarts, which member of American rock band My Chemical Romance dropped out of college to join the band? <laughs> the correct answer was bassist Mikey Way, brother of Gerard Way. Correct answers were submitted by Corey, Margarita Pikachu, Asuna, Zack Attack, Your Mortal, Spelliot Ellie, Max Potter, Mary, Runa Waslib, Swaggy Maggie, Lily Potter, Gay Girl, Hi Miss Ravenclaw, and Anna. Thank you all who submitted those correct answers. Next week's question. So, proving that mathematics is still relevant to today's society, guys, what is the <laughs> mathematical formula for determining the circumference of a circle? Because uh, we what all happened need... to Quizage? Like the, two questions what? in a row, unrelated to Harry Potter. What's related to our discussion, right? So I'm <laughs> branching out and trying to prove that math is still needed. And okay. This, this formula for a circumference of a circle is very important. All right. But uh, submit your answer to us via the MuggleCast.com website uh, using the form found on the subpage slash Quizage. 
You can also follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And finally, we would really appreciate if you joined our community of passionate listeners today at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Listener support is why the show is weekly. We are so grateful for everybody who pledges to our podcast. So by pledging, you'll receive instant access to bonus MuggleCast, the ability to listen to us record live each week, early access to each new episode as, as soon as we finish editing it, our Facebook and Discord groups and so much more you can check out all the benefits at patreon.com slash mugglecast and uh just before we wrap up i wanted to say that next week's episode we will be focusing on the anniversary of the battle of hogwarts and wanted to just ask our listeners to send in what is one thing that you would change about the battle of hogwarts just one thing let us know. You can tweet at us at MuggleCast, or as Andrew said earlier, send us an email, MuggleCast at gmail.com. All right. Sounds good. I figure, you know, get Twitter Twitter going again, since uh, Eric uh, doesn't like Quizage answers there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening to today's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. And we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.